ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Welcome back into the great Scott show, the great sports callers, open think tank. Joining me now, as he has done uh, every summer here for what feels like the last 15 years, but uh, he's been in the game a lot longer than that. He is Phil Steele. The uh, man behind the college football preview magazine that comes out every single year. You guys listening, or uh, if you're not seeing it on the newsstands yet, any day now, uh, if you didn't order it. But this thing is like my ultimate guide to college football every year. I keep it handy with me, I keep it in the studio. I pay attention to rosters, schedules, the likes, and I get ready for college football season. So with all of that, let me welcome them all. Phil Steele comes on right now. Good morning, Phil. How are you, my friend? You know, I am doing great, Scott. And uh, uh, how about yourself? It's, I know the wonderful man, and uh, it's it's... I know that we're sitting here in, in the middle of the summer, but college football season can't get here soon enough. So where do we even start? I always like... For those that are listening, there might be some new listeners. Just give them a quick synopsis, Phil, of your career and and how this thing has grown over the years and why basically the statistics prove that you're one of the most accurate predictors of college football season. And on top of that, obviously, it's the most in-depth preview of college football every single year. Well, I appreciate that, Scott. You know, we started it 27 years ago, way back in 1995. I put the first one out. It was in black and white on newsprint. Uh, it was only about 188 pages, if you can believe it, at that time. And uh, we only covered the uh, the major teams. Didn't even get two full pages on the Mac or anything like that. And uh, the, each year we got a little bit bigger. And then I think it was about seven years in, we actually went to full color and uh, started talking to the coaches probably after about 10 years and been doing that for the last 15, 17 years, talking to the coaches. And that number keeps rising every year. This year I talked to over 110 of the 130 head coaches that are out there, and I spent a good hour with most of them going over every player on their roster. So it's uh, the magazine used to try to, you know, the one thing I learned in the magazine business when I started was Joe Del Popolo from Game Plan said, you have to be the first magazine out there because if you're the first one, everybody will buy it. The second one, everybody will buy it. third one, they start tailing off a little bit. And then if you're out there late, you're only going to get the people that haven't bought the first four that are out there. Well, we're different. We give you three to four times the amount of information in any other magazine out there. So we can go to the press later and everybody else, and everybody waits for ours to come out. This year we actually went to the press, uh, Scott, June 15th. It was very late. Uh, to do it, but we were able to capture a lot of the moves in the transfer portal. I'll give you an example. Uh, Luke McCaffrey uh, left Nebraska, transferred to Louisville. He was the backup quarterback back in May, and then he ended up leaving uh, Louisville, and he was in the transfer portal. Got a call from Coach Bloomgren of Rice on June 13th, and he said, hey, we got him. We got Luke McCaffrey. He's going to be our quarterback. We were able to tuck that in, fit it in the magazine this year. So we were on top of most of the transfer portal changes and had a really good quick turnaround of the magazine print-wise. It's uh, already out in the shelves in Barnes & Noble and Books A Million uh, almost all, all the way across the country right now. Good stuff. Phil Steele, our guest, ESPN 1420. So one of the things i got to ask you every year, um, what was one of your predictions from a year ago? And, 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 look, last year, I think it's safe to say, Phil, was heading into it the most unpredictable season you had ever covered. 
uh, for obvious reasons with the pandemic and not knowing who was going to play and what was going to happen and how many games. So last year was a little different, but what, what was one of your predictions last year that, uh, that you nailed? Uh, I'd have to go with the, uh, the surprise team once again. We've had a really good track record with that. And to let you know how it's a surprise team work, it has to be a non-top-10 team that I think can actually make the playoff. Well, last year our number one surprise team was the Texas A&M Aggies. And here it is, Selection Sunday at the end of the year, and an A&M team coming off five losses the previous year is right there with Ohio State. Which one's going to get selected for the playoff? Ohio State, Texas A&M. It was nip and tuck right down the stretch. Just missed out on them actually sneaking in there. Naturally, it was the same old big four schools, but if there was a non-Tep 10 team that was going to make the playoff, it would have been Texas A&M. Also, um, the top two uh, most improved teams we had last year, one was Miami of Florida, which worked our, they're all the way up to number nine in the AP poll, and the other one was Northwestern coming off a 3-9 and nine season. Here they are playing Ohio State in the Big Ten title game, so I think both those two worked out pretty good as well. No doubt about it. Well, with that, Phil, who uh, who are the surprise team? Well, who's the number one surprise team this year? And and on top of that, just give us a few more that that you have listed just below them. Yeah, I'll give you my top two surprise teams this year, Scott. And uh, the first one is Wisconsin. Wisconsin's coming off a four and three year where they barely got to above five hundred. Uh, in fact, last year they were outgained in the bowl game by about two hundred yards, but pulled out the win. But this year. The biggest difference I think you're going to see in Wisconsin is last year they only averaged 3.9 yards per carry. Now, that's unusual for Wisconsin. They usually average five or six yards per carry, but they didn't really have that feature running back. Uh, Emerging late was Jalen Berger, but now that this year they've got four what I call VHT running backs, Jalen Berger, Ches Malusi comes over from Clemson, Julius Davis and Loyal Crawford are all there. Big veteran offensive line. Graham Mertz started out last year hitting 20 of 21 passes in the opener uh, against uh, uh, Illinois and then tallied off as the season went on. I think he'll be one of the better quarterbacks in the country this year. The defense is loaded. They've got my number uh, eight or number six linebacking core in the country, led by Chanel and Sanborn. And uh, when then you look at their schedule, their road games are Minnesota, Rutgers, Purdue, and Illinois. All winnable. Notre Dame is in Chicago. I think they've got a chance to run on the table. And the last two times they got to the Big, 12, Big Ten title game, they gave Ohio State a game. Two years ago in 2019, they led that thing at the half. 2017, they only lost by six. So this is a Wisconsin team that could very well be a surprise. My number one surprise team this year is the Washington Huskies. And I think Washington's going to be picked second in their own division behind Oregon. Yet I've got them up there as a possible unbeaten season. A big offensive line, loaded set of running backs, veteran quarterback, dangerous receiving core. The defense could be dominant with Jimmy Lake as the defensive coordinator, or as the head coach once again. And then you look at the schedule. They avoid USC and Utah out of the South. They get their biggest games, Oregon and Arizona State at home. They do have to play Michigan on the road, but I don't think Michigan is as good as Washington is this year. So I actually have Washington favored in all 12 of their games this season. I think they have a shot of running the table, and if a Pac-12 team runs the table, they'll make it into the playoff. And they didn't disappoint me back in 2016. I picked them as my number one surprise team that year. They weren't even ranked in the top uh, 13, 14 in the country, but they ended up making the playoff back in 2016. It, 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 Washington is an interesting team in that there just wasn't much of a sample size from last year heading into this one because they only played, I think, four games. So right. uh, I know their fan base is uh, is anxious to, to to get a lot more football. You know, some teams played more than others last year, and uh, those teams on the West Coast just 
didn't do that much. Um, so Pac-12 champ, you know, their commissioner would tell you they should always get in. But if they run the table this year undefeated, they would. You mentioned Wisconsin earlier and talked about them giving Ohio State, um, you know, some com- competitive games in the past when they would meet in the Big Ten championship game. Ohio State, Clemson, Bama, maybe Oklahoma, or, or a fourth team, if you will, it, it, are we? Are you expecting the, the usual suspects, those three schools, maybe being three of the four in the college football playoff again this year, or do you think there could be some new blood? Yeah, to be honest with you, Scott, I, I pretty much went chalk with my four teams I projected to get there. It's been a pretty safe bet the last three, four, or five years. I went with Alabama out of the SEC, Ohio State out of the Big Ten, Clemson out of the ACC, and Oklahoma out of the Big 12, and I think those make it. But I, we'll hold up hold off, put up, put up this hope for college football fans hoping for something different this year. And that is three of those four teams this year lost a lot of players to the NFL. They all have first-year starting quarterbacks. I'm talking about Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. All have first-year starting QBs. And this year, it seems like every team in the country has got 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 returning starters coming back. Uh, whereas these teams do not have that type of level of coming back. They've got, you know, uh, half of that coming. So I think if there's a year that the big powers don't get all in like we've seen in recent years, this would be it, and that might open up the door for some new names coming in there. Phil Steele, our guest, the man behind the college football preview. Go get yours right now. Barnes & Noble's Books a Million, other places, they got it. Uh, philsteel.com to learn more ESPN 1420.com um, college football playoff uh, extending to 12 teams at some point Phil I know there's talk of well you have TV contracts bowl contracts like it, they're they're claiming it can't be done for a few years obviously it's not gonna be done this year but do you think we could see that sooner rather than later when do you think you'll see that college football playoff expansion actually take place when all is said and done i'm gonna go with 2023 i think it'll be two years and i think it comes in into play then i personally have always been a four-team playoff guy uh but it's i mean they, they wouldn't have let the uh the, the cat out of the bag if they, they intended to not doing it. So they are definitely going to do it. I think it happens in 2023. Good stuff there. I know um, fans of, of G5 schools are anxious uh, for that to take place. And every time I have you on, I, I talk Sunbelt with you because we're here in Lafayette and the University of Louisiana coming off a, a great season. As you know, Phil, they've got uh, one of the biggest names in the coaching world as their head coach in Billy Napier. Finished 15th, really kind of uh, upsetting that they didn't, you know, get a chance to compete in the conference championship game against Coastal, but they're, um, they're ready, you know, coming off of a, a bowl win, 10 wins last year. Uh, they opened the season against Texas, which I know folks are excited about, network TV. But uh, when you look at UL, you look at Coastal Carolina and App State in the East, who is your favorite in the Sunbelt Conference and why? Well, first of all, I'll say this. For years, I've rated the Sun Belt as the bottom conference in college football, but last year they really made a huge jump. And you do touch on some of the names. I mean, when App State's your third-best team in the Sun Belt, you've got yourself quite a conference. And I think there's just great uh, – the, the other division, you know, the West Division is loaded with App State, Coastal Carolina, Georgia, Southern Georgia State, and Troy – 
And to me, uh, if you look at the uh, where Louisiana is, uh, they are the clear-cut favorite uh, to win the West this year. Uh, so when I look at Billy Napier and the job he's done, he's got 10 returning starters on offense, 10 on defense. I think they would have beaten Coastal Carolina had they played the uh, Sun Belt title game last year. Now they open up with Texas. And so what are the chances of Louisiana actually upsetting a ranked Big 12 team on the road in the opening game of the season, huh? Oh, oh, it happened last that's year. Right, they beat Iowa right. State 31 to 14 and Iowa State was of course ranked at the time. So I do think Louisiana's got a chance. Texas is a first-year mm-hmm. head coach. Uh, taking over a program. There's been some losses to the transfer portal for Texas due to that, and it's a veteran team coming back for Louisiana. And if they get that one, then I think Louisiana's got a great shot to run the table. They get App State at home on October the 12th. They're loaded on both sides of the ball. As I mentioned, Napier's doing just a remarkable job uh, building this team each year. I think my biggest question mark that I have for Louisiana this year is the depth of running back, because the last uh, two, three years. They've had three, four guys that could hurt you at running back, like last year was Mitchell, uh, Regis, and Smith, all three of them. This year, it's Smith is the only proven commodity, but I think Napier will be able to uncover some other ones. But when I've looked at the overall talent level of the Sun Belt this year and the teams that are in there, I've got Louisiana not only winning the West, but winning the Sun Belt overall this year. And they're in there as one of my uh, prime uh, contenders for being that uh, group of five team to make some noise in the playoff if they can somehow get past Texas in the opener. So a G5 school, you, you every year I ask you which one you would have ranked the highest when all is said and done. I imagine uh, maybe a Cincinnati or a t- like someone out of the American or CUSA. Who are your top five G5 schools in terms of where you predict they're going to finish? And, and on top of that, in what order do you have them in terms of this is my top G5, second, third, fourth, and fifth? Yeah, and remarkably, it is loaded with Sunbelt teams. Uh, we'll start off with my number five, and it is App State. And uh, the reason App State's probably not higher is the fact that they have to play Louisiana on the road during the season. Then they, of course, have to play Coastal Carolina at home. They play Miami of Florida on the road. So I can see them getting a couple of road losses this year, but I think this year's App- Appalachian State team is stronger than last year's. Uh, they do get a new quarterback, Chase Bryce, coming in. Uh, when I talked to Coach Clark, I talked to him about the turnovers that Bryce had at Duke last season, and he pretty much feels that uh, that was just that particular year. We're going to see a different Chase Bryce this year, and if that's the case, I, I think App State's got a great shot at getting to the uh, Sun Belt title game, especially with the fact that they host Coastal Carolina. Now, my number four team is that Coastal Carolina team, and they've got a better non-conference schedule. It's the Citadel. Kansas and Buffalo. And ironically, they're playing Kansas and Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo's head coach, uh, Leipold, left for Kansas after spring and took over a Kansas program that had an interim head coach for spring practice. And now Buffalo's got a wide open uh, situation where uh, they've got a brand new head coach and he didn't retain any of the coaches that were on the staff previously. So I think those are all very winnable games for Coastal. They avoid Louisiana. Uh, out of the West, and they get they do have to play App State on the road. So I think you're going to see Coastal probably be an underdog in one game this year, and that is at App State. Other than that, they should be favored in all the rest of their games. And 19 returning starters, like most teams in college football this year, uh, veteran team, they were my number four team. Number three is UCF, the uh, Knights of the American Conference. And, you know, the, the good news for uh, Gus Malzahn taking over that team is, 
they had a down year last year, and by down I mean they went six and four. They actually lost four games in one season. Previously, they had lost four games the previous three seasons combined. They've got a quarterback back in uh, Dylan Gabriel. They took Cincinnati to the wire last year. They only lost that game by three points uh, at home. And the schedule, if they can get past Boise in the opener, is reasonable. They do have to play Cincinnati on the road, but they've got a lot of talent there. And then what Malzahn did is he brought over some transfers from Auburn, like Big Cat Bryant up front on the defensive line. They really needed help defensively, especially after how depleted they were uh, last year. Top two teams I've got uh, in the uh, non-Power 5 teams. Uh, number two is Louisiana, and I touched on it earlier. They've got the talent and the schedule to win the Sun Belt Conference. They've got the talent and schedule to even beat Texas in the opener, and if they did that, then all of a sudden they would be a team that's uh, greatly talked about with a shot potentially at the playoff, especially after how the Sun Belt did overall. But we talked at length about Louisiana already. I'm going to talk about the number one team, and that's Cincinnati. And Cincinnati has a, a legitimate shot, I think, at actually making a playoff this year for this reason. I believe they enter the season number 10 in the AP poll at the start of the year. So if you enter in the top 10 and you win a few key games, you can move up. Well, they've got some key games early. They play a ranked Indiana in week three. They play a, a top 10 Notre Dame in their fourth game of the season. And Cincinnati last year proved they can play with the big boys. They outplayed Georgia, I thought, in the Sugar Bowl, gave up a late score and ended up losing by three, but had a really good game. They've got 14 returning starters, led by Desmond Ritter, an NFL-caliber quarterback. And the advantage they have, they, they finished in the top ten last year. They'll be in the top ten this year. They've got a couple of games against top-ranked teams early in the season. And if they run the table in the American with those pelts under their belt uh, on the road early in the year, I think they'd actually have a shot at making the playoff. ESPN1420.com. So of of a G5 team to actually crash the party, as you said, and you think Cincinnati has a shot, and you said Louisiana probably a long shot, but being as strong as the Sun Belt is, if a lot of dominoes were to fall, Phil Steele, our guest, ESPN1420. Phil, what would it take in your mind for a G5 team to break into, especially, uh, I, I'll preface it with this before, you know the question I'm going to ask, but I guess I just asked it. But I almost feel like the committee, they kind of show their face every year. They showed last year that some wins really didn't matter. You know, like they were they were still going to rank Iowa State much higher than UL when all was said and done, even though UL beat them on the road and hadn't lost another game. Like, I feel like now they'll just say, oh, and in a couple of years, you know, you'll have an automatic bid anyway. Like, I, I don't think under a current four-team format that the committee – whether a G5 team is absolutely deserving or not, is ever going to put one in there. Now, now that I've given you my opinion, what would it take for me to be wrong? Uh, it would be the Cincinnati scenario. And, uh, you know, entering the season number 10, uh, let's say they play uh, Indiana. Indiana's ranked 15th, third game of the season. They beat them and beat them handily on the road. Uh, all of a sudden, you can see them jump up to nine, maybe even eight in the rankings, and then beat a top ten Notre Dame, and probably seven or even six in the rankings, and then just be impressive like they were last year. They blew out a lot of opponents on a weekly basis were impressive. We know the top teams will end up losing. They could get up there into the number four, number three spot in the AP poll by the end of the year if they run the table, and I think that would give them the shot. They wouldn't have as much ground to make up because they would already enter the season in the top ten. And I think they would need, uh, you know, you couldn't have five one-loss Power Five champions or zero-loss or one-loss because 
if they're the champs and they're power five and they only have zero or one losses, then I don't think Cincinnati could top them. But if you only have two or three of those and the rest have two losses or perhaps even three losses, then I think it makes it a, a pretty good scenario. So I do give them a shot this year. Good stuff. All right. Uh, ESPN1420and.com. Phil Steele, our guest. We're going to take a quick time out. We'll come back, get his thoughts on um, some other teams in the Sun Belt and the SEC. What does LSU face this year? He and I kind of agreed last season that it was going to be some tough sledding coming off of the dream season. Uh, it was. Showed some promise there at the end, but Boy, the SEC is uh, is really strong at the top. We're going to get into all of that with Phil Steele when we come back right after this on The Great Scott Show, ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Welcome back into the show, everybody. Scott Prather hanging out with you here this morning. Phil Steele, our guest, the great Phil Steele. You know him from his college football preview. He joins us now, philsteele.com. If you want to learn more there, Go get your 2021 college football preview. Over 350 full-color pages, stats, trends, angles, returning starters, uh, Phil's forecast, and more. Returning starters, Phil, I guess with the uh, the COVID year, the extra year of eligibility, I'm guessing those phone calls were a little bit longer with every coach around the country to find out who was definitely coming back or not. Yeah, that was uh, it was interesting. I know when we were uh, starting the mag- magazine, usually it's pretty clear-cut, I can say, Okay, put these players in bold, they're coming back. Put these players in non-bold because they're gone. You have an idea how many returning starters for each team. And then uh, the the problem area was the months of January and February where we didn't know who was coming back and who was not coming back. And we finally learned that right at the start of spring. And the good thing is my coaches' calls are all post-spring. So we already know what happened during the spring. The coaches have all had their uh, – post-spring exit interviews with the players. They know the players that are even transferring. They'll let me know that uh, in advance. But uh, I, I think it was tougher this year with that. And to show you how it works out, you go to the Pac-12 this year, for example, Colorado has 16 returning starters. Now, generally, if you have 16 returning starters, you're one of the most experienced teams in the, the conference. Well, that's actually the second fewest starters returning in the Pac-12 this year. All the other schools of 16, 17, 18. And talking to the coaches, the, almost everyone would be like, wow, Phil, this spring was great. We we could go three deep as opposed to trying to scratch together a two deep for spring practice. This was We were so deep. We were so experienced. Uh, and But yet everybody is like that. And that's why I said I think there's an opportunity this year. You know, with teams like Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson that maybe aren't as experienced as the rest of the country is to actually maybe opening up that door a crack for some newcomers to get in there. All right, Phil, looking at the Sun Belt this year, um, you, you said it earlier in terms of the group of five for years, they were at the bottom. And uh, in recent years, they've climbed up. Where do you rank them this season amongst the group of five? Uh Coming into the season, the, the conferences I rate, I've got uh, the American Conference, number six, and I have the Sun Belt, number seven. It's the highest I've ever rated them. I've got them above the Mountain West, above the MAC, and above CUSA, even above the Independents. I've got them the number seven conference out there, and the strength really at the top. And then even at the bottom, I think when you look at the Sun Belt, teams like, uh, a team like Troy is very dangerous. Uh you look at Texas State, they're in the third year for Jake Spavadol. Arkansas State had talent. Butch Jones comes in. And then all five teams out of the East, I think, are legitimate bowl teams. So there's good depth at the bottom. Great 
depth at the top. And I've got them rated the second-best group of five conference right behind that uh, powerful American conference. So, uh, Terry Bowden, I mean, 65 years old um, over at ULM, which for many reasons I think is just athletic budget being a big one. Um, Good luck trying to win consistently there. But are the Warhawks the team at the bottom of your predictions for the Sun Belt this year? You know they are, but I'm I'm just a little hesitant in the fact that Coach Bowden can pull some surprises, and he was the king of the transfer portal before the transfer portal was even in existence. Uh, I remember talking to him at Akron each year, and he would be like, "Phil, if you know any players that are out there, I'm always looking." And I would be like, "In fact, let me tell you a little story from uh, Akron, and that would be uh, his last year at Akron." I was talking to him, I, I believe, in February even. We were just chit chatting, and he's like, "Phil, I got Tyreek Hill." He's coming to Akron, and I was like, "Wow, that's you know the Oklahoma State transfer. He's coming there. Uh, that's pretty impressive." And what happened at the end was, that for some reason, the school wouldn't allow him in. But he had him committed. He had him coming to Akron. Hill ended up going early to the NFL. He's worked out pretty good with the Kansas City Chiefs. But Bowden had him, and can you imagine him at Akron with what they had at receiver already? They would have had a heck of a team. So, uh, you know, he is going to bring in some transfers. He even told me this year when I talked to him, he's like, Phil, I'm I'm not going to let everything out of the bag. It's my first year, and that's my main surprise that I have. So, you know, I can tell you some of the stuff, but I'm not going to tell you every single transfer I got coming in. And that would be the big thing, if he can bring in a, a bunch of new transfers. It, 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 you got the Cajuns winning the the West and the whole Sun Belt, as you told us in the last segment. Who do you think finishes second in the Sun Belt West this year? I went with Arkansas State. Uh, they do have their, you know, they retain their offensive coordinator in uh, Heckendorf that they had last year. They've got Lane Hatcher back. They also bring in James Blackman from Florida State. They've got the deep running back core, and the defense will be improved with nine starters coming back. So I've got them second and uh, third. I have got uh, Texas State with Jake Spavadol. Uh, you know, here's the funny thing about Texas State, and, and this really hadn't really happened to me before. I've watched a lot of Texas State games this year. I watch more Sun Belt games and Texas State games because they were the only game on, and sometimes on major networks. So I've got my, you know, nine TVs. or Usually I watch 12. Here I only had four, five, six TVs going some of those early weeks in the season. I was impressed with Texas State week in and week out. They had some really, I mean, they played SMU to the wire. They played UTSA down to the wire. They played Boston College to the wire. And at the end of the year, after watching all their games, I actually thought they had won like four or five games because they were in every game I watched. And I would look at the record when I started writing the magazine. I'm like, two? They only won two games? And I I sort of had to scratch my head a little bit because I watched them, and they were much more competitive than a two-win team last season. So they were one of the few teams that surprised me when I actually sat down to write the team. ESPN 1420. All right, Phil, the Sun Belt East, you have Coastal winning it, App finishing second. Uh, Why do you have Coastal above App? I actually have App finishing first. All right, my and bad. Okay. As Yeah, as mentioned, they get Coastal at home, and they have to play Louisiana on the road. So I think App's going to pick up one loss. That would be at Louisiana. And I think Coastal picks up one loss, and that's going to be at App State. And if the two finish tied for first, it goes to whoever won the meeting, and that would be App State. So I think App State picks up another loss non-conference-wise against Miami of Florida. I don't think Coastal picks up any non-conference losses. That's why in my overall group of five rankings, I've got Coastal ahead of App because I figure they have one less loss, 
But I do have App State actually winning the division because they get that key game against uh, Coastal at home. All right, I stand corrected there. Um, Georgia State, Georgia Southern, Troy, um, all, I think, strong enough to uh, win a game perhaps that they're not going to be favored in, right? I think um, they, I, I, I think that the East, when you look at those three, probably better oh. than whoever finishes third, fourth, and fifth in the West, right? Yeah, or even second in the West. Uh, I, I would probably, if Georgia State played in the West, Troy played in the West, or Georgia Southern played in the West, I'd, that, I'd probably pick that team to finish second in the West this year. That's how strong the East is. Well, they're gonna uh, they're gonna bite somebody for sure. Uh, what what place do you have each one finishing then? If you mind me asking, in the East. Yeah, well, what I did this year is since they are all so close, and I can make a case for any of them, and I can make a case. Uh, I actually t- put them in a three-way tie for third. I mean, uh, you know, look at Georgia Southern, Troy, and Georgia State. And, you know, ties happen all the time in the standings. In fact, sometimes the people say, you know, Phil, you've got some ties predicted in your magazine. Why don't you just predict everybody outright? And if you go back and look at the conference standings for last year or the year before that, about 35 to 40% of the teams end up tied in the standings at the end of the year. So predicting ties is not something unusual. And uh, I-, I found it difficult to pick one of those three ahead of the other three. They're all that close. All right, good stuff. Phil Steele, our guest, ESPN 1420. Phil, looking at the SEC, looking at LSU and um, what they faced last year. Now heading into this season, competition at quarterback, Miles Brennan. Is it? Is it? Is it Johnson? Who's it going to be? You have Dare Rosenthal entering the transfer portal recently. You open at UCLA. Uh, you have to go to Alabama this year. It's just, it, it wasn't that long ago, right? It was, what, mid-January of 2020. They're finishing up the dream season. But where is this program right now today in your mind compared to just a year and a half ago as they prepare for this 2021 campaign? Yeah, I got them the number two most improved team in the country this year. And uh, my philosophy uh, when I sat down to write the magazine is I thought, you know, everybody's got all this experience coming back. Everybody has 16, 17, 18 returning starters. So which ones will make the biggest jump? Hmm. Probably the ones that were least experienced last year. And how about LSU? After all the NFL uh, folks had left, after all the opt-outs that they shockingly had prior to the season, they had just two returning starters on offense and three on defense. You would think they're ready to make a big jump. I like the quarterback room. I like Miles Brennan. I like Max Johnson. I even like Garrett Nussmeyer. I think they've, they're loaded there. They've got talented running backs. John Embry was the number three running back coming out of high school. Uh, the receiving core, LSU always produces top-notch receivers, and they've got them again. The offensive line, I rate number 16 in the country. And all three units on the defense, led by my number four rated secondary coming in, are all right there uh, at the top. I think when you look at this year's LSU team, they were sort of fortunate to finish 5-5 five and five last year. They could easily have had a losing record. You know, a shoe toss here against Florida. The old Miss game at the end was a back-and-forth battle. Could have gone either way. Uh, but this year, I think they're capable of getting back to double-digit wins, and that's why they made it as my number two most improved team in the country. They get a big game against Texas A&M in the season final, which I'm really interested in watching because I think those are the top two teams in the West next to Alabama. You mentioned quarterback at LSU. Is it? I mean, will it be a surprise if Max Johnson is starting, or, or I mean, Miles Brennan, Max Johnson, Max gets the the first team reps in the scrimmage. I know Coach O said it doesn't matter, but uh, if it didn't matter, he probably doesn't even talk about it, uh, or Miles Brennan wouldn't have been um, 
I don't think he used the word upset, but, you know, he wants to start. So, I mean, there's a sense of it that does matter, and yet Brandon's got a ton of experience. I thought he played well last year before his injury. Um, and you got Johnson, who's really talented. So who do you think is starting week one at UCLA? Yeah, and I went with uh, Brennan, and it was tough. A lot of times it's a, like a 51-4, or a lot of times it's, in my mind, a 70-30 decision. Okay, well, this guy's going to be the starting quarterback, 80-20. They've had a pretty good track record with quarterbacks. This was really one that was like a 51-49 going with Brennan, because I was impressed with Max Johnson. Even in the spring game, he looked good, throwing for 180 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, struggled a little bit in the first half, but really came out in the second half. Uh, but he did play the second-team defense in the second half, and that was probably one of my deciding factors. But you have to be impressed with the arm strength, the size, everything about him. Uh, I think that no matter which one wins a job, they're in good shape, but I went with Brennan. All right, ESPN 1420. So where do you think LSU finishes in the uh, the SEC East where yeah, you got some good teams there, Phil? I mean, you got uh, the best team in the country in Alabama, um, A&M, Auburn, we'll, we'll see what, what Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi State has this year. But where do you think the Tigers finish in the West? Yeah, and believe it or not, Scott, I, I went way out on a limb here and picked Alabama to win the West this year. Oh, so, come on. I'm sure. There, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the number two team, I think, is Texas A&M. And really, the only, when you look at A&M, you have two question marks, offensive line and quarterback, because they lose four starters on the offensive line. They lose Kellamont. But talking to Coach Fisher, uh, last year, even, when we were going over the Joe Moore Award and going over his offensive line, it's like, Phil, we're going to be better on the offensive line next year, which is this year, than we were this year. And because we're bigger, more physical, more athletic, and sort of I perked up a little bit. They had one of the best offensive lines in the country last year. They were a finalist for the Joe Moore Award. So they're going to have a very good offensive line. By the time they play Alabama in week six, they'll have five starts under their belt. They're also, Kane's king dynamic athletic quarterback that can also throw the football extremely well. He's got a great supporting cast. My number one set of running backs in the country, my number five set of receivers, and the defense is going to be outstanding. So this is really a good Texas A&M team. I think if anybody wins the West besides Alabama, it would be Texas A&M. They get that game at home in College Station October the 9th. So I've got A&M coming in second, but i got LSU third and right behind them. And like I said, LSU gets to host Texas A&M. And that's a that's a game I'm anxious to watch on November 27th. Yeah, that's going to be a great one. Um, ESPN fourteen twenty. So in the East, Georgia, Florida. Um, you know, you were. I know. If I correct me if I'm wrong. I think you were pretty high on Florida last year heading into the season. And of course, um, you know, without a shoe toss, they're they're nine and one in SEC play. But they kind of. They kind of ended on a on a, a losing note. I think they lost their last three. Georgia seemed to be trending up. Uh, what do those two schools bring to the table this year, and who do you think ultimately is is winning the East? Yeah, and even though uh, Florida it got to that point, which you talked about, they were number six in the country when they played LSU. Uh, they actually finished lower than Georgia in the final AP poll, going eight and four on the season, and coming in number thirteen. Georgia ended up at 8-2 and two and number 7 in the country. And when I look at the two teams this year, Florida loses more to the NFL. They only have uh, five starters back on offense, five on defense. They lose a couple of first-round draft picks with Pitts and Tony. They lose a couple of second-round draft picks with Trask and Forsyth. Uh, and they have a tough schedule. Uh, you know, Georgia doesn't have to play Alabama, LSU, or Texas A&M. Florida, on the other hand, 
draws Alabama out of the West. They draw LSU out of the West and have to play them on the road. They also, this is one of those years where Florida only gets three games in the swamp because their other home game, Georgia, is at a neutral site. And on the flip side of that coin, this is one of those years where Georgia only plays three SEC road games, basically, with the neutral site game against Florida. So the schedule's there for Georgia. The talent's there for Georgia. They've got JT Daniels, who came back at quarterback at the end of the year. They averaged 37 points per game with him at QB. Uh, this is really, a, a, to me, Georgia's the clear-cut favorite to win the East this year. All right. Uh, I mean, when, when, you, when you have the schedule draw that they do, you can't really argue against that. It just, it, it's, it's all you need to know. And I think that lopsided interconference schedule, the way it is in the SEC, has Oof. benefited, you know, it's benefit. Look, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not taking away from Alabama. All right. I mean, they, they, they were 13-0 national champs, but it's come in, uh, it's come in handy with them you know, and, and their schedule over the years and it's hurt other schools. Um, and so if, if you're Florida and you got to play Bama and LSU and you're Georgia and you don't, that's everyone talks so much about, well, what are you doing out of conference? What, with SEC, what are you doing in conference is the question I usually ask. And who did you draw from the other division? That's kind of what I zone in on each year. And Georgia's a team that, you know, they, they, they run the table and then, they get a shot at Bama in the title game. They, there, there is. You know, we talked about the big three when it comes to the college football playoff in Clemson, Ohio State, and Bama, which feels like every year. Georgia's a team that's crashed that party before, and they're a team that if they can win on Atlanta in, excuse me, if they can win in Atlanta in December in a conference title game, they've got as good a shot as 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 anybody at the top to get in the college football playoff. Yeah, absolutely. Georgia's right there, and they open up with Clemson. Other than that, they'll be favored in all the rest of their games. They've got the defense. They always do under Kirby Smart, number three in the country. And as we've seen, I mean, they've stood toe-to-toe with Alabama. They lost in overtime to them in the uh, uh, championship game, a game they had in control. They uh, also had the, uh, the SEC title game loss where they were in the lead and ended up losing that one by seven points. So they've stood toe-to-toe with Alabama in the big games and proven they can do so. Who who's going to be the most improved team in the SEC East? Uh, in the East this year, uh, I'm going to go with Kentucky. I think Kentucky had a little bit of a disappointing season last year, uh, dropping to five and six. I think most folks thought that after uh, you know in 2019, expectations were low for Kentucky. They uh, you know they had lost everybody from a veteran squad that went ten and three. And they still managed to get the eight wins playing a wide receiver at quarterback. Last year, expectations were a little bit higher, and they, they finished with a losing record. I think when you look at them, they've got seven returning starters on offense. They'll have more of a pass game than they've had the last couple of years. Defensively, they've got talent throughout. And uh, I think they're sort of flying under the radar. No one's really talking about Kentucky. They're talking about Georgia, maybe a Florida, maybe a Missouri. And I think that makes Kentucky a little dangerous. Good stuff. As always, terrific information from Phil Steele. It's ESPN1420.com. I'm Scott Prather. Phil Steele has been our guest. Check out his 2021 college football preview. If you ordered it, you probably have already got it in the mail. If not, go out, books a million, Barnes and Nobles, go grab a copy. Um, you mentioned a, a minute ago, Phil, you thought LSU would be the second to most improved team in the country. Real quick for our listeners, what's your uh, what's your formula with that in terms of how you determine uh, improvement and the follow-up question is who is number one on your list in that regard this season 
Yeah, and to, be, to make my most improved list, you have to uh, not have been in a bowl game or not had a winning record last year. And uh, so, you know, LSU made, made that criteria at 5-5. Five and five. My number one most improved team uh, is Penn State, and Penn State was just 4-5. and five. They opened up 0-5 last year, but they were actually plus 102 yards per game. So it's not like they were being outplayed at the line of scrimmage. In fact, to give you give an example, in their opening game of the season, uh, when they played Indiana, Penn State had a 488 to 211 yard edge, but somehow lost that game on a very controversial play at the end. So it's not that they were a bad team last year; they were just an unfortunate team, minus 10 in turnovers, uh, things like that. And I think you're going to see Penn State be a, a more like they were thought of prior to last season when they came into the season number seven in the AP poll, as opposed to the four and five team that they finished last year. So much like LSU, ready for a big rebound this year. All right, great stuff, ESPN1420.com. Phil, before we let you go, uh, Heisman Trophy prediction for this season. Who's uh, Who are the couple of players that you think will get the invite? Ultimately, who do you see winning that thing? You know, last uh, three times that Lincoln Riley's had a veteran quarterback, that quarterback two times has won the Heisman Trophy. So, number one, I went with Spencer Rattler of Oklahoma. I think he's got the supporting cast. Got Lincoln Riley as head coach, and he's now a veteran after playing as a freshman last season. But other big names at the top, you have to look at Sam Howell in North Carolina. How about Matt Corral, Ole Miss? I mean, they gave Alabama a scare last year, and Bama had a hell of a team. Uh, we'll see how he does. Uh, Keaton Slovis at USC. And then you have to look at the three new starters this year, DJ Uyunglele of Clemson, Bryce Young of Alabama, C.J. Stroud of Ohio State last year. Mac Jones was a first-year starting quarterback for Alabama, and he was in the mix at the end. So I think all three of those names have to be thrown out there. Terrific stuff. Phil Steele has been our guest. If uh, you want to give him a follow on Twitter, it's at philsteele042. And uh, philsteele.com, he is the man behind the uh, college football preview 2021 edition available now. And uh, he's got a vote in uh, tons of college football awards, including the Heisman used to do stuff for ESPN, but he has always, 27 years now, put out this college football preview. It's come a long way, but it works, man. It's tried and true. It's uh, it's consistent, and uh, every year I learn new things when I read about it. It gets me ready for college football season, and it, and even when the season starts. Granted, it's not like you have updated records, but if your favorite team's about to play an opponent, you need to learn something about them, and you need to get some insight. It's there, man. It's something that you can use throughout the year and then uh, come next summer guess what you get the next edition that's just how it works in the world of sports with college football phil thanks for coming on talking some sunbelt talking some sec and just talking some college football with this man all the best continued success and look forward to talking to you again next summer my friend hey that sounds great scott always enjoy our conversations and just one quick note for your listeners out there today and that is the magazine is exclusively at Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. So if you're used to going to other places and getting it, just go to Barnes & Noble, Books A Million. You save yourself some drive time, 352 pages. But always enjoy talking football with you every summer, Scott. And uh, you have yourself a great season this year. We will, Phil. All the best. All right, thanks.